When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Namaste, motherfuckers. Welcome to Namaste, motherfuckers, the only podcast where the worlds of work, comedy, and well being collide. The podcast where the life changing stuff happens. I'm your host, Callie Beaton, and this episode is called TikTok, TikTok. And today's theme is TikTok. TikTok was launched in 2016 by Chinese tech company ByteDance and now has offices in Beijing, Berlin, Jakarta, London, Los Angeles, Moscow, Mumbai, Seoul, Shanghai, Singapore and Tokyo. The app has been downloaded 3.5 billion times, making it the fifth app to accomplish this and the first non-meta-owned app. The company is today valued at around $75 billion. TikTok was one of the winners of lockdown, leading to it being the most downloaded app of 2021. 43% of its users are aged 18 to 24, and my age group, the old 50 pluses, make up just 11% of its users. When it comes to 70-somethings, Donald Trump was ridiculed in 2024, among many other things, to be fair, trying to ban TikTok as he saw it as a national security threat. I'm not in my... Oh, no. There's a bloody wash in there. That's all right. That's today's guest, Mark Simmons. The average user opens TikTok 19 times a day and spends 46 minutes on it. Carby Lamy took over from Charlie D'Amelio as the most followed TikTok account in June last year, with his videos in which he mocks life hack videos from other users. As of today, he has a mere 154 million followers. Will Smith is the fifth most popular TikToker, with over 72 million followers, and is the highest ranking Hollywood actor on the list. It just goes to show, you don't need to let a little thing like punching another A-lister in the face get between you and enormous popularity. I'm not in my normal, I'm not in my normal podcast place, Kelly. Mark Simmons is an exceptional one-liner comedian with 168,500 TikTok followers himself. In 2017, Mark won Dave's prestigious Best Joke of the Fringe in Edinburgh and his solo show that same year, One-Linerer, was also a huge hit. He continued this success with his follow-up show, One-Linerer, which also sold out and is now touring the UK with his latest show, Quip off the mark. We've got tour dates for that in the show notes and all of his dates are selling out. So get on that for sooner than later. He's a popular booking for all the top UK comedy clubs and he has done tour support for the likes of Sean Walsh, Rob Beckett, Rob Ryden, Michael McIntyre, Sean Locke and Jack Dee. 
He's a face you may know from his TV appearances, including Mock the Week and the hit BBC Three documentary, One for the Road, where a film crew followed him alongside Sean Walsh on tour in the Scottish Highlands. And he's just been voted 2022's Comedian's Comedian, which is a prestigious and well-deserved accolade from his peers. And I was lucky enough to be at the party last night where that award was made. So well done, my friend. Mark and I talked about mums, sons, technology, therapy, breakups, crying, dreams, Zoom comedy, tampons, TikTok, taekwondo, tour support, bad gigs, good gigs, and jokes. But he started by telling me about a startling discovery he had only just made. Like yesterday, I discovered a thing called an Ethernet cable. Have you heard of that? Indeed. That's from my, you're talking about something from my era. Really? Yeah, because that's what we all used to use before we had Wi-Fi. We all had to have Ethernet cables. There was no Wi-Fi. Oh, so we've discovered in the cupboard, there's little numbered holes. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know anything about I can't believe you're telling me this, like this is a new thing. (laughs) Jesus. So I, so, 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 and then we found the cables, but I'm on a Mac and obviously they want me to buy a connector. So I've ordered that and that's due. And I thought it might be here by now and I could have done this from my room. Um, but I can't, so I'm here now. I'll be honest, I thought this might be boring, but I'm like, wow, this is already... It's good conversation, right? talking to you. Yeah, I feel alive. Have we started the podcast? Well, we just dive in wherever. We we may or may not use this gold. uh, I mean, I'd be surprised if this doesn't stay in. Yeah, I think it's pretty strong. Uh, I think it's about as strong as the plant to your left. That that is dead, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, How do you know if a plant's dead? Well, when it has autumnal falling leaves on it, but it's an indoor plant that isn't subject to the seasons. Is that leaf dead? Yeah. So I would say that (laughs) indoor plants don't tend to shed in autumn. So when when an indoor plant matches our hair colour, it often means it's dead. does actually. That looks like it could be a wig of my hair. It does. Yeah. (laughs) You know what's really funny? When I saw you followed me, I I I was a bit annoyed. That, that you didn't follow me already. And then I looked, I went, I didn't follow you either. Exactly. I was the same. When I saw you didn't follow me, I was like, well, fuck you. And then I was like, oh, I don't follow you. I can't you. see why that's happened. I've, I've, I'm sure I followed you. I think it was um, when we had a lover's tiff and we unfollowed each other because it was awkward and we forgot to refollow. Well, it's not cool to, to follow your mum, is it? No. Well, although my kids do follow me. You should probably um, tell people about that. They follow me to the bank. Yeah, that's... we should tell people about that. So um, do you want to tell people about why well, I'm your mum. You probably remember it a bit better than me, but we it's stuck ever since. So we did a, did the um, stand-up club in London and you were you were emceeing? Yes. And I went on I think I, I I think I closed and then afterwards a woman came up to you and said what did she say? She said did she say you should be like proud or something? Yeah, you should be really proud of your son. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't Did know if you've you... been on. I think she, I think I had been on and you were chatting to me backstage. Well, there isn't a backstage. You were chatting to on me the in the small vestibule on the way to the bar. Mm. And I think she thought you were my son and you'd come to support me. 
Really? Oh, I, oh, I, yeah, I don't remember. I mean, that exactly. let's not have a family row about it. It's not Christmas dinner. Let's keep it you, you've been my comedy mum ever since that. Yeah, that is nice. That um, and I do feel quite because you are age-wise. I think we worked out I could be your mum if I'd I think been biologically. Biologically, I could be. That's what I meant by age-wise. Yeah, I was just in case anyone wanted, you know. Higher brow podcast yeah. content. Okay, so I want some more syllables. So yeah, we did work out. Do you want to see the dog? Do you like the smoke? I'd love to see the dog. Oh, here's the dog. Here he is. This is... Oh, I've got a wire on his head. Hold on. Ah. So this is who you had move in instead of me. Yeah, this is Jeff. Hello, Jeff. Ah. I know, he's just licked his Why would you ever want to do anything else? What, apart from just cuddle the dog? Yeah. Do you like dogs then? Yeah, I like dogs, yeah. Yeah, he's very, um, he is really sweet, I have to say, and he's very easy. And I was thinking today when I took him for a walk before I had to like run around and do lots of work, I was thinking all he really wants to do is fuck around on Hampstead Heath and that's really all I want to do. It's all Michael, it's all George Michael wanted to do. Um, And that didn't end well. We'll cut that. Do you uh, you want to hear my dog joke? Yeah. Jeff, do you want to hear it? Oh, you can't hear it. Yeah, go on and then I'll put him down. I spend a lot of time in parks picking up poo. So my girlfriend got me a dog to make it less weird. Very good. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, that's good. Nice one. I was, um, so yeah, I put the dog down now. Not literally euthanise the dog, but <laughs> put it down on the ground. Um, so where were we? Yes, yeah, so mum and son, and yeah, he moved in ahead instead of you, which is really, really yeah. nice. But you're, um, but you told me you're living in a really, in a palatial, wonderful uh, nice. place that you never want to leave. I, I, I'm quite happy here, yeah. I'm next to the velodrome. Although, although there's been a bit, there's been a bit of, bit of crime around here lately. The um, there's been youths setting off fireworks just in the street amongst everybody. I thought this was leading bangs. to a one-liner, but this is just actual crime. Wow, let them off. There you go. That, that, that's not that's not why I did that. That's <laughs> that, that has been happening. There was a big almost riot with the police What's and that? youths. Yeah, yeah. I was about hundred yards away from where they'd let them off. I went to get some sushi the other day and they let one off just outside Pret. Did they? I can't have, because I'm so used to hearing you do punchlines. I'm like, where's the... But this is actually just a sad comment. Like, if I ever put a Facebook status that's like a serious point, people go... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not seeing the wordplay. What's going on? Yeah, that's not your best pun. Wow, <laughs> that's quite dramatic, isn't it? Because we've um, yeah. we haven't had the old fireworks outside Pret in Kentish Town. You haven't? Not yet? No, not yet. Uh, so no, it'll catch up. Well, if this is your way of saying you might still want to move in, I'll I'll consider it. This is fun. This is just two people that get on and have a lovely <laughs> chat. What are we meant to be talking about? What are we meant to be talking about? Uh, well, we can talk about anything we want, really. We're talking about you. I mean, you want to you know, get all serious, do you? No, we don't. It's not a serious podcast. Although we do have moving moments. Laura Smith's episode last week made a lot of people cry, Mark. So. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to compete with that. You I'm... definitely aren't going to be able to compete with that. There was a lot of tears. She cried, I cried, she cried, really? I cried. Oh. Listeners have cried. Oh, but yeah. hopefully it was inspiring as a podcast as well, right? It was inspiring. It was it was for Breast Cancer Awareness yeah. Month. And she talked about her breast cancer. Yeah. And I cried and she talked some more. And then we both said, namaste, motherfucker. And that was it. Hung up. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm the next one after that. No, you're not. You're way oh. down the line. We knew that people would need a buffer zone of sort of futility and then we would work our way to where you were palatable. So no, you're way, way, weeks away, buff, buffered from Laura Smith crying. So you don't think you're going to cry on this then? I don't think so. No? I don't. I cry in fi- uh, watching films sometimes, but not. 
That's not not a, a big crier, I don't think. When I said that, actually, I did realise that you're. Quite, I think you're quite ins- inscrutable. Inscrutable. Mm. Hang on, I'm just going to Google something. <laughs> what it is inscrutable? So, so if you get scrutinised. Yeah, you're quite hard to read. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Wonder why that is. Yeah, maybe because on stage you're not like. I mean, you, you are yourself, but you don't really get, you don't, I know you don't really get under the skin of any comedian as much as you think you do. But I suppose loads of us people think, don't they? They all think we're oh. just coming on and telling stories about ourselves and that they know us. Mm. And so I get lots of people after gigs coming up, especially kind of women my age, like really feeling like we're mates because I've yeah. said stuff they can relate to and they feel like I'm just a big old oversharer. But obviously I kind of, I do know what I'm going to overshare. Yes. And I suppose it's a bit different when you're a one-liner comedian, isn't it? No one really yeah. gets to really know about That's the opposite, to be honest, because I... So I've got Crohn's disease, and I've got a joke about Crohn's disease in my show, and quite often people come up to and go, have you really got it? Like, they think... They assume I've I've made it up. So, so yeah, so that, yeah, that does happen quite a lot. I don't... I. If I just started talking about real things, because sometimes I write jokes about real things and they, they won't work because because if I was a comic that always spoke about real things, they'd sort of buy into it straight away. But because they're just little short jokes, people just don't really, aren't really having any of it. So that's maybe why, yeah, why you're a bit harder to read on stage. But I feel like you don't... Am I hard to read off stage? I don't know if you give much away off stage either. No. Barriers up, is that? Yeah, or maybe, I there's therapy, nothing, maybe there's nothing there. <laughs> just a total blank, blank canvas. Do you think I should... Yeah, I, I think maybe I, I've never done therapy. Do you think that would be a good idea? Um, I think I, in a serious answer to that question is I think everyone should do therapy. I love therapy. Yeah. I've been in and out of therapy my whole life. And look, look how well everything's going for me. I'm 53. Yeah. I've got a dog because I was so lonely. You're not 53. And, yeah. So you'd have been... We've done the maths 16. on this before. 16, yeah, we worked that out. I would have been yeah, 16. It's illegal. Yeah, it's, I'd have been a legal young mum of you. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the main way I measure my age is in relation to Mark Simmons and <laughs> whether I could be your mother. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think therapy is quite good. But I, but you don't um, – I was just thinking when I said jokingly, are you going to cry on this? And then I yeah. thought, I've got no idea if you'd be someone who would cry. Yeah. I did speak to you. We did a gig – at uh, during lockdown we did maybe it was one of the early zoom gigs or you were living were you living with your girlfriend or you just split up you split oh, your it? girlfriend and you moved back to live with your parents is that what you're with your mum thanks Are you trying to make me cry now yeah basically <laughs> i just want everyone listening to know it's not all mock the week and sell out tours for mark simmons <laughs> um probably yeah we broke up during the lockdown yeah um do you, to, did I, do you want to know if I cried during that? Is that yes. what, what, you, what you're getting at? I think I did, yeah. It's quite a, quite a, quite a big thing, isn't it? That, that, the whole, it seems to almost like it didn't happen, the lockdown now, doesn't it? It's, it's such a weird... It was, like, it was a long time ago, wasn't it? 
weirdly last night I had a dream while we're talking about therapy I had a dream last night about you remember that imagine that awful thing that everyone took the piss out of where all those a-listers did did a rendition of imagine oh yeah and it and everyone it was like horrific but funny and um yeah I dreamt that I was in it um but but I was thinking first of all I obviously shouldn't be in it because I'm not anyone and second of all I was like I can't believe if I was going to be in something with all those celebrities it was something so shit (laughs) But that's weird. And then I thought, have I got some sort of lockdown nostalgia? I saw um, I saw the boyfriend that I was seeing during lockdown. Um, I saw him last Sunday for the first time in a long time. So maybe that's why I got back to lockdown feelings. Right. Yeah, I haven't seen her since we broke up, I don't think. No. So, yeah, so it's just, yeah, it's just a weird... Because it's all go, it's all sort of go swimmingly. Well, you you were dating before lockdown. Yeah, I was seeing someone for six months before lockdown, and then and we got into that real kind of shit or bust. Like you've got to be together or apart. Right. So we picked together, but I would oh. say him in a slightly commitment phobic, gun to his head together, <laughs> and then I got COVID, and we were together, and then he left after three weeks when I still had COVID. <laughs> he just went back to his flat. <laughs> So he, and then we were together throughout lockdown, but it was quite had its challenges. And then as soon as lockdown lifted, really, I ended it. Oh, oh, okay, right. That's why didn't you end end it during lockdown? That's a really hard time to end a relationship. As, as yeah, preaching so. to the choir. What's weird is someone pointed out to me yes, yesterday that if it wasn't for lockdown, I wouldn't be doing my tour now. Like it, that all came from. I, my my ex girlfriend was a videographer, and she taught me to edit videos in lockdown. And I started editing them, and then it's from that where they've sort of all gone, you know, pretty well. That I'm now doing a a tour, like um. Whereas before, if it wasn't for lockdown, I wouldn't be doing that. It's it's, it's quite weird, isn't it? That that's actually I've actually gained out of COVID. I think lots of people had to kind of dig deep to work out some things that they wouldn't have probably done before and for some people it did work out all right I definitely think a few things came out of it for me that were possibly a bit helpful I realized that I'm funnier on zoom than in real life which is a real fuck no, up because you don't true. I think I, I did quite well on zoom because I think because I'd did. watched telly my whole life I think I used I saw it as like a monologue on a late show rather yeah, than yeah. trying to do what I did on stage it felt like it felt to me well obviously you do what would work on tv not what would work on stage yeah so tell you what I what well, I, I enjoyed... We did quite a few Zoom gigs together, didn't we? We did, yeah. Um, the best thing about Zoom is that because everyone's on the same microphone, essentially the same level coming into the Zoom, you only need two or three people to laugh for it to sound like it's going well. Yeah. Even if there's 200 people watching and 197 of them don't like it, it still sounds like you're smashing it. That's true, whereas in an actual gig, it's a little bit tougher when you've just got yeah. the three, especially if they're not all in the same place. Yeah. So you're like, could you at least three of you sit together? Maybe start something. Yeah, no, I quite like that. So tell me the video thing. This is going to make me, this is going to make me sound like your great auntie Joan. But because I'm, one of the things I'm going to do. So I get the internet the... cable and I stick it into my phone. Yeah. <laughs> and then you knit uh do you have like bean cans with a kind of string yeah. between them yeah that's what i do when i, I tried to write a to joke about selling those bean cans but they don't actually so this is a bit annoying probably a bit boring joke writing talk but there's not an actual word for those there's not like one word that describes the tin can telephone right um but i tried to write a joke about selling some knockoff 
bean, bean what, what did you call them? Bean cans. Bean, bean. Oh, they're just tin, yeah, tin can telephones. Um, also, I was trying to sell them cheap, no strings attached or something Very like good. that. good. But the yeah, trouble is the they're... setup. You'd have to come on with a picture, find out yeah, if there was would, anyone so... in from the 70s, get them to <laughs> explain true. what you meant and then do the punchline. I tried it with um, tampon as well. <laughs> Which, yeah, that's which hard, I, That's a harder sell for a... But I don't know why it should be. I but just I think don't think anyone I, wants to hear you talk about tampons. Not <laughs> for I'm pleasure not and not for work. Tampons. No. I literally say I've got some knockoff tampons, no strings attached. That's, I just think that everyone's make? thinking, why have you got knockoff tampons? <laughs> we've all gone off on a tangent. So? Yeah. But I, yeah, but with my act, they just they should just, you know, none of it's real, is it? It's all, Would it not work if you said, I'm going to tell you how to write a joke, Mark, because that's what you need right. from me. But could, what did you not, can't you just say it's your girlfriend's, your girlfriend got some knockoff tampons? Yeah, but I've got to try and sell them within the joke. Otherwise, the notion's yeah. attached, but it doesn't work. That's true. Or some, or some dodgy bloke sold uh, some really cheap, too good to be true tampons. Yeah. He said there's no strings attached. Yeah. Which actually makes it difficult getting them out. Would you need the extra bit on there? No, 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 no. <laughs> Please, God, no. <laughs> Big fat no. I was looking at your tour dates, which obviously we will put in the show notes, and I saw that your Leicester Square Theatre one, you've had to get another date because yeah. that's sold out. Yeah, and that's the, the next the next June, that's half sold now. So That, that is would... amazing. Oh, it's, 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 it's all a bit mad, really, because... Um, and, but but what's what I find like astonishing is that it's sorry my dad's phoning it's just buzzing. Oh, tell him hi from me. <laughs> when was the last time you saw him? It's thirty-eight, thirty-seven uh, years ago. Sixteen years ago. Yeah. Six, no, oh no, no thirty-eight. Yeah, I went for the age <laughs> yeah. gap, not your Hang age. On, what's going on? I was quite good at maths at school, but I wasn't menopausal with brain fog then. <laughs> so sorry. So what was I saying? Oh so, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah so, so it's you're just, about selling out tours on the back of your clips, and it's a it's a it's a it's a even spread across across the country as well, which is sort of blows my mind really. Like I did a gig in I sold out in Bridport, and uh, that's Bert, near where I'm from, sea. Bridport. Is it? Even I wouldn't sell out in Bridport, and that's my home county. <laughs> but it's but yeah, it's 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 mad, and people are like traveling really far as well, like. In Burnham, in Burnham on Sea, some of them come from Manchester, some of them come from Birmingham, because they'd be sold out in those places. And I think they had cousins that lived in Burnham on Sea or something. But So it is, because that must be, well, first of all, I think a lot of people just do not understand that we all used to think that telly was the thing that would change everything. And actually, mm. if you want to be a touring comedian, then it isn't the thing that will change everything. I mean, I did the Now show no. last week on Radio 4, and I appreciate that's never going to be, or certainly on Instagram, never going to generate loads of followers looking at the Radio 4 listening demographic. But I mean, I got tens, not hundreds of followers from doing that. Whereas I think when you do right. telly, you get more. But I mean, literally, it was tens. And I was thinking, yeah. well, at least I'll get a few hundred. Um, and my aim isn't actually to sell out tours anyway. So you also have to think, is it just um, some kind of like sad How, Why don't need? you do that? For me, I that's just don't been think I'm a, I don't think I'm a tour. I don't think that's my thing. Being a sort of touring I think, comedian. I think you're. I don't know. I do. I think you're. I think you're. You're. You're a comedian who's got that that, that talent of being really good company, which I think is what makes people want to come out specifically to see someone. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, the, yeah. I suppose it's that feeling of I. Do, I always know it's gone all right. 
um, I did one, where did I do it? Chichester, I think it was on Friday night. And um, and afterwards, a few people came up and said, oh my God, it, you know, went really quickly. We just wanted you to stay on way longer. Yeah. And I think that's always a really nice, that's the kind of yeah. testament that things went all right. But um, I don't know, I, I guess You've never all... done an Edinburgh show? I've done two Edinburgh, two Full solo ones. Edinburgh shows, yeah. What did you call them? Because I the... thought of a tour name for you and... The first wondered... one was Super Cali Fragile Lipstick. Brilliant. Okay, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, I thought you'd like that. Sadly, I spunked that title on a show that wasn't worthy of the title. <laughs> so I was like, oh, why didn't I save that show title to when I was good? Uh, and then my second one was Invisible, but that was specifically about that French guy who went viral saying that women at 50 are invisible that year, okay, and it was the yeah, year I yeah. turned 50. So there was a nice. very clear, so not a strong title, mm. but a strong totally strong concept for a show what's your yeah. what's your idea for my show comedic cali um, comedically yeah that's good or comic cali yeah. comic cali comic i think comic cali is even better yeah that's do you good. like that i do like that yeah that's um, worth touring just so for the give title, me the title right? and you could write it yeah i might do it yeah, yeah. and is it um <laughs> Do you know what? Jeff must be drawn to you. He must know that you're a family mm. member because he's never that interested yeah. in coming near me when I'm doing a podcast and he's literally maybe just it's lying. Your, maybe it's, it's coming from you, isn't it? It's he's that lying kind in my motherly... arms. He's on the table just absolutely spark out on his sides, like just lying, yeah. looking It's because you feel you. so comfortable talking to me that it's like a family member. Well, he was with Jake. My son is staying this uh, for the last couple of nights. He's come to visit and um, the two mm. of them were just lying on the sofa all morning. And I wonder if you do look quite like my, my actual son. I wonder if he's just thinking, oh, it's really nice that you're chatting to Jake on the computer. Yeah. I'm going to stay nearby. <laughs> uh, but is it because I do think that... Um, it's really easy for sort of older comics or people who've been going longer or aren't of an age where they're kind of consuming stuff like on TikTok or whatever, where they might, I always find it interesting listening to the Parenting Hell podcast with Josh Widdicombe mm. and Rob Beckett. And Rob is, I know they're only like 10 years apart in age, but they're very different types of people as well, aren't they? Which I guess is why it works. But um, yeah. Rob is all over, like, you know, obviously genuinely loves like pissing away time watching stuff on TikTok and Josh doesn't. But also, oh, right. I do think it's interesting age-wise um, that maybe there is a slight difference in people who sort of realise that, well, that's actually where you're going to go to connect with people who want to see your mm. stuff. And there is what? still, yeah, there is still people, I think it's really easy for people my age to think the gatekeeper is TV or radio, not that you could just generate it yourself. I, I think you have to, if you're going to get tour famous like on TV or radio, you, you have to be on everything all the time. And... My theory of why it works on social... So I think in the old days, if you were on TV, there's only four channels, three channels further back. People saw no your face. No channels at one point, Mark. Wow. Yeah. Well, when was that? Uh, when I was, you know, about 15. <laughs> yeah. What did people do then? How did people get well-known then? I don't know what they did before TV. On In papers, I suppose. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, but I think you have to be on everything all the time. Yes, and with with TikTok, even if I'm or anything on social media with clips, even if I only put ten seconds on every day, that those people are seeing you every single day, so you do get that that recognizable thing, even though it's only for a short amount of time, which I think is more powerful than going on one television show every three months or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but with but with the so I think with TikTok, I think it got like that. It got um, not a bad name, but it's that kind of everyone thought it was just young people dancing, and it's not appropriate for old people. But 
but the the algorithm's brilliant because whoever you are, if you watch it, it starts to recognise what you like watching. So I watch the comedy clips, and I think it's great because you you get little the best bits from the Graham Norton show, uh, the American chat shows, all that sort of thing. So now that's all I get when I watch it, and it is starting to creep over and I think people are realising that it's not just for young people because when I was in Edinburgh I had a lot of older people in their 60s, 70s and they would say yeah I've been watching your your clips on TikTok so I think it, it I think it is everyone is using it now I have a lot of my friends and people from the tour just saying I just you're all over my social media like and I was going I'm so sorry yeah <laughs> but, that's the dog but, by the way making that noise um, yeah, I think it is. It's good to have a dog to blame for everything, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I do think because it, it's a sort of a, it's like almost when you work out what it is you do with your day and like what the balance is. I was thinking like there is no, at the moment, I've never been busier, but not not with comedy, with like everything, with corporates and mm. all the kind of stuff I do. And I was thinking, God, yeah. I'm just so busy. I don't know if I'm even enjoying any of this. Like I, people keep going, right. it's going really well, isn't it? And I'm thinking, I, I guess it is going well, but I'm just rung mm. out and then the bits that are really fun I don't think I like I always really love doing these because by the time I do this this is all I'm doing now I'm just having a really yeah. nice time or on stage I'm having a really nice time mm. but all the rest of the time I'm like shit I'm supposed to be doing that and running around and just creating yeah. the time to do it really yeah I guess I'm I'm lucky in that sense because with the tour that is that's my it's my favorite thing to do is doing stand-up and that was always the dream to tour to people who are coming specifically because they like what I do and like TV and that, that was always, I'd love to do it, but the ultimate goal was I want to do it because I want to be able to do this all the time. So You are very good though. You're very good on your mock. Have you done two mock the weeks? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're very good. It. Don't think that's related. Yeah, hey. <laughs> and then they cancelled it. I, I know. don't think it's related. Well, at least you did it. I never got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that was a massive thing for me to, to do that show because that was huge when I started stand-up. So When did you was, start stand-up? Um, I don't really, uh, I, 2000, end of 2007, I think, something like that. But I didn't, it was all kind of, I just fell into it. So I didn't really make note of it, really. Like a lot of people, they count their gigs, don't they? And they, How they do got you fall into stand-up? Um, uh, well, I, I loved comedy and stand-up, but like on telly. But I was, when I was at school and at university, the idea of standing up and talking in front of people was the 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 worst thing I could possibly do. I hated it because I was quite I was quite shy, and when I was a teenager, I had quite blush quite easily. Um, so Without colouring, that's not a good look, is it? The blush, no, nowhere to hide. No, and and that schoolmates would pick up on that. So then it became as soon as. As soon as I did, they'd be on it. And as soon as anyone mentioned it, it would make it worse. So that was a real conscious thing of like psychologically. I need to look back now and think actually that did kind of, that was quite hard back then. Like that did affect me quite a lot. But at the time, I don't know if I really realized it so much. But yes, yeah, so I'd sit in class dreading being asked something. So the idea of like stand up is literally the worst thing you could possibly do if that's the case. Um, and also when I did like presentations at university, it's that I think what makes me uncomfortable is when there's no reaction from anyone. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's when you don't really know what you're talking about, 
So I, I knew I had weaknesses. So that also made it worse. Um, but then I taught Taekwondo from quite a young age because my dad teaches Taekwondo and I've always done it. And then I teach a whole class in front of a whole class, teach Taekwondo, not a problem in the slightest. So confident at that same age that when I was at school, if I had to do anything in front of people, I'd hate it. It's so weird, isn't it? Um, but I guess it's just that thing of knowing what you're doing. And also, I guess with Taekwondo, I'm more in control. So if I felt uncomfortable, I could make them do something or it's more active. I don't know. Because with Taekwondo, it's not them sitting there just staring at you. I think maybe mm -hmm. that's that was the problem. And then after uni, I started working in a gym and a friend of a friend who I knew used to film like sketches together. They were quite this cool. I sort of always wished I was in their little gang because I quite like the idea of doing sketches and things. And he'd just started, well, he'd been doing the open mic circuit in London for about a year. And he just convinced me to go and have a go. I, I don't know how he managed it. So I just went to the King's Head. It gave me like a week to write five minutes of material, which, as we know, that isn't long enough. Um, and then went to King's Head and you could sort of queue up at like half six or seven. And if anyone dropped out, you could get a spot. And I got one and I did it. And it was so the first time I'd ever been in a comedy club was my first ever gig. Like I didn't know anything about it. And it was it was a bit of a like a bit of an, an overload, brain overload, all these. It was like I discovered this new world, this really cool. I felt really rock, rock, rock and roll, I think. I don't it's such a I can't I, I can feel that feeling now. But, and I miss that that first feeling of like, this is so cool. And I think maybe that's what got me over the edge to actually do it. And then I got one one or two laughs and then I knew that's that's what made me confident getting that laugh. And I walked I walked on stage as a, like almost like a bit like Milton Jones to be honest. And this was before I knew who Milton Jones was. I just went on as a weirdo because I thought oh, I could hide behind that and then I don't it's it's not so bad. And if they if they think I'm an idiot, that's because it's the character, it's not me. Um but yeah, I got a few laughs and and then just didn't ever stop. But that, but that I don't know what I don't know if you had that same feeling when you were first started. But I can't quite describe it. But it was, it's just the the best. I don't I don't know. It's Sounds really like you cool. felt it not just on stage, but the whole thing. Like as soon as you walked in there, you were like, "This whole is thing. my world." Yeah. Whole thing. And, That's interesting. And the people and because and luckily I started with my mate as well, who was kind of had his finger on the pulse of what sort of thing we should be doing and does your mate still do it well no he gave up in like 2009 so you can say, yeah, he's larry david he's done a few things <laughs> yes went back to the states <laughs> yeah. no he gave up in 2009 which always sort of frustrated me because he is one of the funniest people i know and i know all these comedians is he still a mate of yours yeah and he's one of those people that whenever you bump into him, something hilarious has just ha literally just happened. But he, at the time, he couldn't make that transfer onto stage. He just it didn't quite nail it. So it didn't always go great. And he, he, he was, I think he was trying to be quite surreal because surreal comedy was quite cool then and you wanted to stand out by being so wacky and weird and different. But that's not really what he was. And the same thing with me. I started out trying to be surreal and then I gradually worked out, no, my brain doesn't work like that. I work as one-liners and wordplays. That's what I spot. I think that's what I'm good at. But he, and he's a storyteller to me because that's the, you know, he's so good at that. 
Um, but what's really cool is he then moved, he met an Australian girl. They got married. He lives in Brisbane now. And we're still in contact. And then about six months ago, he started stand up over there. Uh-huh. So he's had like a 15 year hiatus or not quite. Yeah. Far off. Yeah. And we, 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 and we have, we, it's really cool. We have like weekly meetings now. So we'll, we'll sort of, cause I'm, cause, cause I've got my show I'm doing on tour. That show's locked in now. So everything else I write now is for the next show, next tour. So I'm starting fresh and he's starting fresh. So it's nice. So we just meet chat, meet up on Zoom and we just chat through our fresh new ideas if we can do it weekly. And it's really cool because it, it's, it's almost, it's, it's back like where we started because that's what we used to do all I the love time. that. It's a bit of a symmetry up. to that. Namaste, motherfuckers. So you were doing one-liners from the start? Not sorts, it, bits and bobs, really. It, I didn't know, I was just trying, I was throwing everything at it. Um, like... Basically, I see a comedian I like and I go, well, what, what I tended to do, if I watched a DVD of a comic and I used to just, I did, as soon as I started stand-up, I just bought so many DVDs and I'd, I'd then just be thinking in their brain. So everything I wrote after watching someone stand-up, it was in that kind of vein. And then I think a lot else. of new comics do that. You see them and they might not realise mm. it, but it's like they've kind of by osmosis their being yeah. whatever comic they like and then they move on to the next one. Yeah, I mean, because back when I started, it was Stuart Lee everyone was doing. Mm-hmm. And now you still I still see that a lot, actually. I still think you see a few people where you're like, that is completely trying to channel Stuart Lee's I think delivery. A lot of, yeah, there's a lot of Acaster as well now, I think, mm-hmm. with the new comics you see. Um, yeah, so I, I start, I, I mean, so my friend, he's, he's now focused on the storytelling side and he sort of has realised that he didn't quite focus enough. Like, he'd come up with an idea and then he'd... Um, he'd try it and then the next gig something else had happened so he'd try something else where he wouldn't really hone a piece for a long time which he's doing now and I think he's doing pretty well um, so yeah it took me a while to work out that I was one linery. I was trying to, to be honest I had this moment do you remember so you know the Laughing Horse new act competition I do but well, they did another one called the, the Big 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 New Act competition did you, do you remember that? No, it might have been before my time. Might have been. I don't think they did it much, but it was basically a competition where you do three minutes and that was that was it. And I went and I died. That's great for one-liner. Yeah, but I wasn't really doing that. Ah. I sort of was. So what basically what happened was I had a really bad gig. Stuart, my friend, actually had a really good gig that night. And then I went for this walk and he always sort of mentions it, how weird it was. But I just went for a walk afterwards because I was so sort of depressed by it. I went for ages, but in that walk, I sort of, I, I managed to work out why it wasn't working. And that was because I was trying to, I really like Noel Fielding. And I was like going, wah, 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 same sort of energy as Noel. But the jokes were one-liners where you have to think about it to get it. So I wasn't giving people enough time to, to, to get the joke before I was jumping on to the next thing. So I totally changed the pace. And then from that moment, everything started to go better. So literally, you t- well, first of all, I think it's um, to kind of walk around and get the answer as to what you're, what's not working. That takes quite a lot because you're so eclipsed by emotion. It's so hard to explain to people mm. how bad it is. And actually, you, you were at one of my worst ever gigs, which was... Was um, I? Yeah, which was that one at... Um, it was at a Formula One. Was it Silverstone or Thruxton? Oh, or, yeah. Yeah. And, and you were on, it was one of Paul Revel's gigs. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I really had a bad one. I think I've probably talked about oh, this. Yeah, do you remember? I remember because yeah. I remember you being gutted about it afterwards. I think the audience were gutted. They'd had to sit through it, to be fair. I don't think it was as bad as No, it as was. It was it, well, just to let you... I think finally, Paul... Um, who people who yeah Paul's gigs are great uh, anyone who and he's very know, nice yeah he? he's good he's a lovely guy and he he literally so he did that thing that promoters do and he I am going to come back to you I have this is linked to what you said I haven't just gone off no, I like hearing about you ramble, but I remember him you know when everyone like tries to tell you it wasn't as bad as you thought and yeah, but you know yeah. you know you're in like their I eyes they're like that was bloody awful and he <laughs> so he was like oh it's all right can you tell me about it and I was like yeah and then I had to do a car share home with two other people who I had to wait for them to do their bit. And they both did really well as well. So that was like horrible. <laughs> but Paul then didn't book me for a long time, having booked oh. me a lot until then. But he would say, if he heard this, he'd be like, no, it's just coincidence, Callie. Then he saw yeah. me MC at the stand-up club, which is where mm. you were accused of being my son, but not that same night. And then he's booked me again since. And then I did yeah. a gig at a festival that was really near wherever that place was. There was, a, and he got, and I, he emceed the comedy stage and that was this summer. And I had an absolute barnstormer. And he, he said to me then afterwards, he said, honestly, Callie, he said, do you remember? He said, look how far you've come. Do you remember that gig you did? And now you've done this. And look at the, like, look at the difference. It's like night and day. And I said, thank you. But I said, do you remember that all these years you've pretended you thought that that other one was all right? <laughs> so all these years he's been thinking, you bloody liability. But the thing that I, I find um, really hard, and I've just started to get a little bit better at working that out, is to have the capacity to reflect and go well, like what actually really went wrong then and mm. when it's as fundamental as like literally my delivery isn't right or yeah. i'm going too fast that's a mass I, I don't think i'm very good at knowing that it takes me a really long time of my performance chipping away and telling me mm. do that differently so i think that's quite that's quite amazing that you actually had a sort of comedic epiphany after a shit gig yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I just, yeah, but it was that point I was, I, I was going to give up. Yeah, it was sort of bad it enough. Was touch and touch and go. Yeah, because it just wasn't quite, quite happening. But yeah, that was definitely, that was definitely the moment that it sort of turned around. Because um, after that, I then started getting into um, new act finals. I was doing a lot of those, and that was that was straight after that. So, so yeah, it was all right, like an upswing. It's also sort of backing uh, yourself, isn't it? Because it's almost like the stuff you thought mm. you'd got into it to be, which was Noel Fielding. Well, there is a Noel Fielding, and actually what you had yeah. was strong anyway. So your material, I imagine, has always been, you've got really, really strong material, you're a great gag writer. And I, if you have got great gags, you can afford to say them and let them sit in the room because yes. they're enough. There mm. are plenty of comics who barely have any gags, and so they can't possibly just leave their story with silence because there is not they've got to fill it with charisma and personality and something yes. or, or the whole room is going to be like it's the empress new clothes what well, like i think i just no talked about myself when i said that but yeah <laughs> it is so it, it I, and it's funny how the um i remember someone saying to me at top secret and i had a, I, you know it's quite hard to have a bad gig at top secret but i have managed to have a couple there and i remember someone saying to me so i think 
not not trying to say I'd had a bad one, but I hadn't had a good one. And they basically said, oh, they said, you know, one of the things I've noticed, especially gigs like this, where there's such an energy in the room and is that if it's not going quite how you want it to, to just really slow down and let the energy of the room mm. take you forward. And that was such a massive thing for me to find it. Because oh, I really? think if it feels less apolog- otherwise you stop racing through it. And it's like the audience can mm. smell the desperation. They're like, you are apologetic. Yeah, You're trying to get to the end of yeah. your set and they can smell blood then and you're screwed. Yeah, well, Sean Walsh. Um, so I did learn that I did need to slow down with that Noel Fielding thing, but not like I still need had a lot of improving because I did the what was it? I did the English Comedian of the Year final in two thousand nine and had a stinker, like really, really bad. I got a review afterwards, and it basically said um, he said he has a nice way of saying something that's hardly a basis for a comedy career like it was it was really like that's a real tough. but 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 it, it i was bad so you know and then i did the amuse moose final that that year in edinburgh and i had a bad one and sean walsh was there and he said to me you're going way too fast and he said slow 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 down because because in the final is you're that so how nervous. you met sean walsh no we met quite early on actually at the king's head um and i still tell him this today but it's sort of like a joke really but um he's the best open spot i've ever seen so did you guys start so you started out similar time because you do tour support for him and work with radio show with him and you, you work with yeah him quite so a he bit. so he he started a bit before me because he he's, he did a lot in brighton he did like his comedy course and things like that but when he first come, came to london was when I just started, I think. So it's around that time, because just after that, he was doing the new act competitions. Um, and we just got on quite well. But then he um, he's he, he he's went up quite quick. So we didn't really gig together for years because I was sort of still doing the open mic, crappy sort of gigs, anything I could get. And he was doing pro bill gigs. And then we just reconnected. Um, that was it so that so i so this is this is a thing that i i really believe in is that i think you need to um just put stuff out there which is the same thing with the videos i think if you you just put stuff out there loads of stuff out there and something good will happen and it i think i really believe in that because i started i watched a lot of films used to go cinema a lot so i decided to review all the films but do it in kind of in one-liners and I'd put them online and just put them in into the world. And then Sean, I bumped into him and he went, oh, I really like, I really like um, the reviews you do. They're really funny. And were you putting Nick. them on Twitter at the time or where? how were you getting them out? I can't really remember. I think Twitter, yeah, probably, because mm-hmm. Twitter was the main thing back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from that, we, we reconnected. It kind of reminded him that he liked what I did. And then not long after that, he asked me to support him on tour. And I think if I hadn't have put those out, because they weren't getting lots of views or anything, like I had to motivate myself to do it. It's not like you know you're going to get 100,000 likes, so that sort of spurs you on. But I, I kept putting them out. Yeah, and then, so if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have done the tour with him. And I, and I learned so much on that tour. And I, wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't be where I am now 
if I hadn't put those silly, stupid little reviews out. So it's, it's funny, those little things. that. So I think if you have an idea to do something, you should just do it. And you never I think know. it's having the courage of your conviction that it will be worth doing. So things like, mm. well, this podcast, I mean, not necessarily this specific episode, although I love this too, but I am really proud of the podcast <laughs> and the quality of like what I do and how I do it. I, I, you know, I think it's really, I do like it. I think it's yeah, really yeah. good. And I think, and then I just sometimes think, God, it's so competitive in the podcast field. But then I think, well, yeah, but you're not doing it. It's not mm. about being the most listened to podcast. There's loads of other things, not least because I've got a book that's going to be out in the back of this, but it's about having, <laughs> yeah, b- believing in what you, and also you do learn a lot. Like every conversation I have for this podcast, like lots of things you've said now have sparked mm. thoughts for me that I wouldn't have had if I'd just been doing something else for an hour right. this afternoon. So that, and I do think just doing, having a conversation you wouldn't otherwise have yeah. is already going to give you, hopefully, obviously you do it because you want listeners to get something out of it, but actually you get loads out of it yourself mm. and it, makes you think differently about stuff what did you because I've done very little tool support and I don't it's not my thing really I did a bit from Mickey Flanagan when he was doing the smaller sort of theatres I'm doing a bit with Justin Morehouse it's not your thing it's not well as in I I don't know I've just got I've got all these beliefs about myself as a comic but um but what did you learn then I think you're great oh thank you son you're good. You're really good. But you're always, you're always a little bit like this. And I think it's so silly. Cause I, I got think more you're... confident. This is going to make me... I think I said this to you, that because you saw me when I'd just been booked for Apollo and I was feeling massively insecure and I hadn't, we weren't meant to tell anyone, but I spoke to you because I was like, oh, I might want yeah. you to have a listen to a couple of my gags because I think you're such a good gag writer. And then in the end, um, I think you did listen to a recording and you were like, what is it you want me to do? Well, but I also... Yeah, and I watched you and I'm like, you don't... It's great. It's like, it's all good stuff. Like... I just always feel really, I mean, I do, ironically, and this is a really... Do you think this is is because you started later? I think it's because I started later. And also, I think I'm really, I'm massively deadline kind of, if someone gives me a deadline or gives me a task, I will do it really well. So I was really proud of what I came up with for the Now show. But that was obviously with 48 hours to write something and a gun to my head. And then I thought, oh God, I can write topical stuff and it can be really good. And, you know, I wrote 10 minutes Mm. of brand new topical material that was, I was really proud of which I would have thought I wasn't capable of doing. And I think with, ironically, getting Apollo and then getting massive imposter syndrome between getting the booking and recording it, I worked so hard on my 20 in those eight weeks or whatever it was. Mm. And I lived and breathed. And the main thing that mattered to me in my life was making sure that if I was lucky enough to be one of the people to get it, when there are so many hundreds of comics who are good enough to get yeah, it, yeah. that I should do it well. And then when I did do it, I thought, no, I totally deserve to be here. Like what I did is strong and, and my dad said he was in the audience. He went. He said, "You know, that was that. That was actually a really solid twenty minutes, like like other people do on live the Apollo." I was like, "Thank you, that's lucky." Um, so I think I think it is a bit of a yeah. It's a kind of belief thing, and and I know mm. so maybe it's about ambition, what I'm trying to do, and I don't know. But yeah. what did you you got into tour support kind of reasonably mm. new then? So what you said you wouldn't have learned the things you learned if you hadn't no. had that tour support. So what did you learn from touring with Sean? Shall I tell you what with tour support? That, so it's so weird looking back at it. But so when I was saying that about buying all the DVDs and trying to research what is this thing, stand-up, I I was working at Kent University and there's a theatre there called the Goldbenkin Theatre. It's a really nice little, I don't know, sort of three, four hundred seater theatre. And I'd just go and watch whoever was touring through there. And it's quite often comics that weren't famous yet, but they're on the up. Um, and whenever I watched those shows... I always really wanted to be a tour support. Like my dream wasn't to be the guy touring. That's funny. 
my dream was to be the tour support because I think I related to the tour support because maybe I knew them or I, I knew of them on the circuit. I was like, that, that, that was almost believable that I could do that. Whereas the touring was like, oh no, no, they're like, that's, it's a different thing. Um, so that was, so that was always my dream. So I've actually like, I've been so lucky because I've supported quite a few people on tour over the years. Um, but Sean was the first one and he, I think I did two tours with him and he's, he is, he's the best one. Well, I think he is the best at the moment. I think he's incredible. And I, it's been funny watching him get booked for I'm a Celebrity and oh, yeah. the kind of, you forget that when you look at, when you read mainstream media coverage of him going in as a late addition, to be fair now, Matt Hancock's going in with him. Oh, I think yeah. that he's off Sean, but, um, <laughs> yeah. and the kind of narrative is, you know, everybody's most hated love rap, crazy, you know, Sean Walsh. And I just think, good, anyone who knows him on the circuit, He's mm. absolute sweetheart, and yes. and he's so talented. Like I and, owe my yeah. career to him, really. Yeah. Like I mean that without him, basically without him saying showing people, yeah, this guy's good. Yeah. That that convinced people to start booking me properly in clubs, really. So I wouldn't be where I am without him sort of taking that punt on me, essentially. And there's no one better to tour with because he's he's so so gifted. In, in in understanding comedy, so even though he doesn't do one-liners, he understands how it works. So he could really help me with lots of things and performance things. He'd sort of give me tips how to perform to like things that Stephen Kamos had told him when he supported him, and he sort of passed them on to me, which I'm now doing with my own tour. Like it all stays in do there. Do you have tour support? I do. I've got Danny Ward on my. Oh, have you? Support. Nice. Yeah. And he oh, that's is right. I remember talking to you and Danny. So yeah. so good at it, really good. Because with tour support, it's it's a tough gig. It's a really tough gig because you're not billed, so you just come on. Billed. It's not like a music support act where you get billed at least in advance. Yeah, and you're going onto a cold room expecting someone else, and normally a compare would go on, chat to the audience, and slowly build it into a gig. But every tour support I've ever done, they've always said, don't talk to the audience because because there's so much more impact for a famous person to talk to an audience member. You don't want to ruin all that and waste it on the tour support. Um, so that's from Sean Walsh to Rob Brydon. That's just a standard thing. So you're going on there just doing jokes off the bat that they're not expecting. But you really do learn... What, what I learned from that is to hold your nerve. Because if you do a joke, before if I'd done a joke and it didn't really work, I'd start panicking, I'd, I'd rush to the next one. But, but what it taught me was if you, if you just keep going, if you, even if the jokes aren't hitting straight away, look like it's going how you're expecting it to go. And they always come, every time. They always do eventually come. They just have to get tuned into your wavelength. And as long as you don't look worried, they won't be worried. And that I think that's what I get most. So, so now if I do a corporate or anything like that where it is tough, I've gotten that skill now to hold my nerve. And they usually do come and it's like you have a nice time. You just need to look like you're as comfortable as possible. It's funny hearing you say, I'm thinking about that when you, because I, I think that's why I find, maybe I say I find tour support not something I really want to do. I'm quite glad that it's taken me quite a long time to get to the point now where I'm doing my own tour because I do feel like I've got those chops because I've been 
I don't know what year it is, 14 years doing this. And it's, you know, and all those tours and you pick up different things off different people when you do the tours. So I did Rob Beckett's tour for a, while, for a little while, which was really nice because he, he approaches things a lot differently to everyone else. In what um, way? He's just a, he's, he's one of those people who's just a natural and he approaches to his approach because he always takes a mick out of me about how like scientific I am with everything. Well, he's so natural. He just goes, ah, just say, it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And he, and it's always funny. So it's, it's it, so you, so I do, you pick up a few things like his, the naturalism of what he does because he's just him, isn't he? On stage i think that's why he's so i i think i'd slightly underestimate i didn't underestimate him because i think he's really funny and when you hear him do voiceovers of reality shows and stuff he, you know celebs mm. go dating and stuff he's very funny but hearing him on parenting hell i was yeah. like literally that man can hardly say anything that isn't funny he's got no, something he's, on every, he's very quick and but I, he, but, I'd underestimate and he knows him. what he's doing yeah 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 because because he's got a persona where you you might think he doesn't but he, sort of he really jack the lad but there's a lot more to it yeah no yeah. he's he he is excellent, and he's like he he is a, a complete natural. That's yeah, how I describe is. Rob. Yeah. Um, and then I did Rob Brydon's, and again, that's another completely different environment because 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 Rob and Sean were mates. Like I knew them from starting, so that's very different than being coming into doing tour support for someone who's like a bit of a comedy hero of mine. You know, he's been in so many things that I I liked. Um, so it's a different dynamic to it, but I was so lucky I'd had all those other tour supports before that because I was so well equipped to deal with it. Because you're going into 2,500 seater venues in the same situation where it's all cold, they're not expecting you. But that whole thing would be able to hold your nerve. They always came quite quickly, I found. Um, whereas I think if I hadn't have done those previous ones, I'd have been a bit intimidated and knowing that Rob Bryden's right there listening and watching. That's and the bit that's right. And also just worrying that you might fuck it up for them. And I think that's what I, I definitely yeah, decided right. after doing my tiny little bits that that wasn't something mm. I was aspiring to do. And that I, yeah, and I, cause I'm doing but Justin all... Moore houses, but I'm just, oh, yeah. just sort of, he's like a mate and I don't feel like it's, mm. I don't know. I feel like that would just be really nice to see him and hang out a bit. Yeah, um, yeah, well, and I'm not doing that. Yeah. Like, I'm just doing a couple down in this down near me really. Um, yeah. And is, how do you think, um, how do you think Sean's going to get on in the jungle? Hello, podcast penance. It's producer Mike here with another handy clarification. So when Callie told Mark that his episode wouldn't go out for a while, she wasn't kidding. As you can tell from this very dated reference to the jungle, that this was recorded sometime last year. And when they go on to say, maybe when this episode comes out, maybe Sean will still be in it, maybe he won't. Well, in fact, the whole show is finished. But you already knew that. That same, I was like, oh, I don't know if he's got the psyche to cope with being in the jungle. <laughs> I, re- I, I don't know. I think people will I love him when they re- he is just so lovely. I think it will be really, I think people will like him a lot, but I don't know if he'll they, like being there. Well, well, this is it. This, this is it. I, who, who knows? Like, I, I, I really, I, I'm kind of. I hope it. Well, because um, I know he's really scared of creepy crawlies and insects. So, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of comedy moments. Yeah. Because he's quite over the top the way he reacts to things as well. Yes. So I, but the thing is, I think, and he's, he's very neurotic he's, as well. He's, he's, he's a neurotic. That's his whole persona yeah. isn't it he's like he's quite a neurotic kind of stressy guy and yeah but, but he's 
Well, he, yeah, but he is, yeah, just, yeah. But, he's, but like you say, he's so gentle, isn't he? When you I mean, sort he's such of, a, yeah. I do also yeah. wonder, like, how, the stuff that stresses him out is sort of like the normal, like the kind of queuing at Tesco type thing. So maybe just being there, where that's all you're doing. You just don't, I, I, I think no we one knows how they react. Sean. Yeah. But, but Chubby, I think maybe Matt Hancock's going to be doing all the trials, isn't he? Well, so. I think now, if I, like, if I was Sean, I'd just be rubbing my hands saying, well, I'm just going to go be on holiday. And by the time this goes out, he will be, well, he might have come and gone in the jungle by the time this goes yeah. out, or he might be in there. Well, and this comics don't, or, yeah, it's a weird thing, because sometimes comics go in and leave quite quick, don't they? It's Yeah. Well, so it worked all right for Joel Domit, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. But do you oh, think, um, yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see. I have to say, yeah, even before Mike Hancock was announced, I was like, I haven't watched I'm a I hope, for years. But I really I hope, I really hope you see the real Sean so that people go, oh, this, oh, he's, he, he's all right, this guy. Do you know what I mean? I like, think I you'll just... see, I don't think he, I don't, I don't know him nearly as well as you, but I know him, you know, I know him a bit. And I don't think there would be a way to get much footage of him where he wouldn't seem like a nice guy because I don't, he's just yeah. not a wanker. You'd have to work yeah. really hard to yes. get him being Machiavellian or being a real dick because I don't think he is. Mm. So they'll either just underplay him altogether or he'll end up coming out of it well. Apart from I that, I don't so, know yeah. if he'll be very good uh, with the challenges. And uh, But we'll see. But I'm going to well, watch that's it. This it. Year. Well, we, we did the documentary on BBC Three. Like we did this um, uh, tour around the Highlands. Yes. And there's a bit in that where he loses it, like scared in the back of the car. And I start panicking because I don't know what it is. And it was just this tiny little caterpillar, weird caterpillar thing. And he was so freaked out by it. So the, the thought of him with snakes and spiders, like I, I really, I'm genuinely looking forward to that. Me too. I know. <laughs> but, but even just in the camp, if there's one, like, I don't know. Yeah, well, I have to, even that though, I, even if it wasn't for the trials, I would absolutely, the thought of just having to do a reality show, which meant camping in a place with creepy crawlies, no home comforts, yeah. no makeup, looking like shit, being hungry, even without the bush tucker, whatever it's called, I would, bush tucker trials, are they? <laughs> yeah, I would yeah. absolutely hate to do it. So, but I think having worked in reality TV for so long, I just like behind the scenes, I'm just like, there is nothing on earth would get me into any of these things. And I will I, oh, I'll really? say that on record, there's no money in the world that would make me do it. Matt Hancock apparently is getting 350,000 for it, isn't he? Is he? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's... I'll do it for getting, that. But that's another story <laughs> for another time. Is um, I, I want to ask you just about before I ask you the three questions I ask everyone on the podcast. Your joke writing, and I know you've got your your podcast um, jokes with Mark, which is um, I yeah. love because it's people bringing their jokes that don't work and looking at them. And actually, I think when we did it, I cut two two different jokes from that. Um, I now do, and you made them work. And you oh also, really? Yeah, I can't remember which. Oh, I love uh, that. I think there was one. Actually, I've stopped doing it again. There was one where I said, you know, my son was, you know, when my son was first diagnosed with autism, um, it, it was difficult for me because I didn't know anything about autism. But luckily, he was on hand to write me a list, which I think is a good joke, but yeah. it still struggles. But I think you did come up with a way to make that better. You gave me a good topper on my um, I gave you one in... weekend. Yes, but that was that was just after a gig, wasn't that it? That wasn't, yeah, that wasn't on your podcast. That was, and I that yeah. I still do that sometimes when I do that Great. material. Um, I think I might have done that material at Apollo, actually, so I owe you money for that. Probably. Oh, brilliant. That's uh, cool. Well, you did it last was... time I saw you, actually. I was, I, it's so yeah. funny. I was, I was, like, really proud that you that's something I'd said worked. <laughs> I'm a rare comic in that if someone comes up to me after a gig and, and anyone who's not a comic listening to this won't know why this is annoying, but a lot of comics hate it 
if mm. another comic says after a gig, oh, I like that bit you did, but why don't you do that? I'm delighted mm. if anyone does that because sometimes it is the perspective you want. You're like, oh God, yeah, yeah. that's so obvious. So I'm always really so, pleased. Yeah, I don't mind it, but most of the time they're not good suggestions. Um, and then it can make it awkward because then the next time they see you, they go, well, you didn't try it, you didn't do that. But you just got to be honest and say, I tried, it didn't work. Are you spending loads of time writing? Um, I normally do, but I've been quite I was talking to someone the other day about it I just haven't had chance really to sit and I still see wordplay and I'll, I'll spot it in conversation and things and I'll write it in my phone I've got like a 2023 show list just of ideas um, but I haven't had chance to sit down and really work out what I've got and what I haven't got but I do need I, I do need to somehow dedicate an hour because look what we were saying earlier the editing and the touring and and then I like yesterday I had a did a little BT sport show that I do fairly regularly a football show, just everything. It is quite hard to be creative because you need a completely free mind, I think, to be creative. And when I've got stuff I know I've got to do, I the the, the jokes don't flow. You just described my whole life. Namaste, motherfuckers. What would you pick as your namaste, motherfucking life-changing moment? Um, like well, I I think I think it's probably do, do all stand ups always say the stand up related answers because I think my mate at the gym bumping into him because if I didn't bump into him and he tell me about his stand up, I, I don't know what I'd be doing now. I just wouldn't literally that moment when we passed the sliding doors thing. I just I wouldn't be doing this, and it's literally the best job in the world. It's it's the best thing I could possibly be doing. I think so. So I think that's the that moment. That's the biggest. The it's biggest also the only me. reason I've ever heard about why you might bother going to a gym. So yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Anyone's thinking about cancelling their gym membership? Don't. <laughs> and what's your favourite joke? Um, that's really hard. Um, the one I always tell people is a Bob Monkhouse joke, um, because I just think it's it's just a it's just a perfect joke, really. But the trouble is, it's not like... I don't think it's like a rip-roaring, make-you-laugh, but it's just really well-crafted. I really like it. And that is the... Um, uh, people laughed when I told them I wanted to be a comedian. Well, they're not laughing now. I love that. I just think it's... It's, it's just it's, it's, It is perfect. And it was actually... You know the film The Joker? Did you ever watch that? Yeah. Oh, that's in there, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but it actually really annoys me because he does that joke on stage and they sell it like it's a bad joke. I know. And that really annoys me because it isn't. And I'd like to know if they got permission to use that joke or why they use that joke. But but it doesn't make any sense because it's a, a really... It's a great joke. I yeah. use that joke when I do in my in my kind of TED Talky life I and I reveal oh, yeah. at the end that I how I became a comedian and the conversation right. and blah, blah, blah. And then I always say, I do obviously attribute it and I say to quote another late great comedian, Bob Monkhouse. Yeah. I, I often tell that joke. That's not my closer, but I do tell that joke. Yeah. Um, Have you seen his, um you on YouTube, his BBC show, like his last ever gig? No. In front of loads of... Oh, you have to watch it. Oh, I will. I'll put a link it's, to it, it in this it, as well. It's, it's his last ever stand-up recorded performance. And he invited a room full of comedians. So it's really cool because you do see lots of people that you oh, know. I think amazing. it was in 2003. And, and he's doing his act. Then and it cuts with interviews with the comedians that were there talking about him. And he'd like he knew he was 
he knew he was dying and it was like he did it to be his last show and because he's a what I love about him is because he people he was known for doing um panel not panel shows game shows and all that shiny fraud shows but people people don't realize he was a proper comedian and he massively people joked about him losing his joke book like it was and and it was actually for all of us we realized what an amazing and from that era he was one of the only ones writing his own stuff i know and what would you give as a piece of life advice to anybody listening i've sort of covered it already i'd say stick stuff out into the world no matter whatever you do is that is that classic you um that michael jordan quote um i'm gonna forget what the quote is now um you don't make you don't make any of the shots you don't take or something along those lines so if if you don't put anything out there it's not going to be successful is it because you're not doing anything but just just do stuff stick stuff out there and you know it's like throwing (laughs) throwing shit at the wall isn't it but um I, I think just if you've got an idea, just do it, make it. If you've got a, a book idea, self-publish it. Just, just, and something will happen. Just keep, just do stuff. That was Mark Simmons. We've put links to all Mark's tour dates and the other things we talked about in the show notes. So do go and check all of those out. And that is it for this week. Thank you so, so much for listening. Please do remember to keep rating, reviewing, recommending us. We love it that more and more people are finding the podcast. And we will be back in your feed next Thursday, as always, when I will be talking to author, editor, campaigner, and TV personality, Lucy Cave. The bond between um, presenters and listeners, because people really talk about that as a as something that radio has that no other medium can, can kind of achieve in the same way. Namaste Motherfuckers was written and presented by me, Callie Beaton, and produced by Mike Hansen and Karusha Dami for Pod People Productions, with music by Jake Yap. I'm Callie Beaton. Until next time, motherfuckers. Join the revolution. Fuck it. I was getting really frustrated with life. Everyone has a fuck it button, but no two fuck it buttons are the same. The thing is, is my fuck it button comes up every time that I work. I just felt really, like, energised. My name's Zoe Lem, and this is the Fuck It Button, the new podcast from Pod People Productions. Join me as I talk to people from all walks of life about when they have, would, could or should press their fuck it button. Whether it's driven by trauma, stress, boredom or life events. How they feel about it now and the impacts of others around them. But now I've come out of it, you know, I'm really on the other side of it. I have found that empowering. The Fuck It Button is coming soon to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your favourite shows. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.